Welcome to the Rubio Method. This is episode three. Tonight, we have a phenomenal show. On the Rubio Method, we will talk about my outfit, bacon, jumping out of a plane, and being a Super Bowl champion, all of that and more on the Rubio Method. Big T, let it rain. Focus. Focus up. All right, Monahan, let's go. You have some website questions for us? Yes, yes. How are we doing, Rubio? I've got a ton today. Well. First things first. <laughs> Good to hear from you. Good to see you. Hey, first things first, the question that jumps off the page. Uh, Rubio, what is with the sweatshirt? You have a show now. Shouldn't you be more dressed up? This is actually something that directors, producers, all of them talk to me about prior. Okay, what are you going to wear? What is your outfit? What's your theme going to be? And I said, I want to be comfortable. I want to be casual. Me in a suit is just not my way. I wear, I basically have one or two suits. They're like basically one's my wedding suit, one's my funeral suit. And I had one other suit that awarded the Kentucky Derby. That's a whole separate story because that suit is no longer in existence. That's all I'll say. So I wanted to be nice and comfy. It's my show, so I'll wear what I want. I like that a lot. <laughs> I can get behind that. Number two. Hey, man, the people are asking. They want to know, what is your, or, sorry, excuse me. How do you like your bacon? Ooh, how do I like my bacon cooked? I like it. Medium to raw, is that is that a thing? I don't want it, I want it like kind of flappy, but definitely not crispy. When I bite it, I don't want it to like splatter everywhere. I want it to just kind of melt in my mouth. Monahan, what about you? Rubio, you like uh, you like what, there's still marks where the jockey was hitting it, eh? <laughs> I <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Dude, I want that thing so burnt. I love it, crispy. Well, That's so crazy. I pictured you as a crispy guy myself, Rubio. We're not going to talk about this anymore, Monahan. Is there another question? <laughs> yes. <laughs> question number two. What is hey? Now listen. The people are clamoring. This is this is a tough one. What is your favorite condiment? Go. It always used to be ketchup, but now in Idaho, it's they're very very ranch. There are a lot of ranch. I mean, they take pride in their ranch. Like people will go to places simply for their ranch. So it's kind of a ketchup slash ranch. But I've also been diving into a lot lately, green Tabasco sauce. And I'm not a Tabasco sauce guy because I feel like it just dominates whatever you put on it. Put a little drop on your eggs, boom, what do you taste? You taste Tabasco and that's it. But this green Tabasco sauce, I'm not even sure what the flavor is. All I know is it's fantastic on burgers, pizza, whatever. Monahan, what do you got? Man, I love it. Ranch on everything. It goes with mac and cheese. It goes with salad. It is, it is the, uh, the most used economy. You can put it on everything. I, All right. I, I can't call you a liar. <laughs> Last question. All right. So this one I may actually have to field first because I'm actually pretty passionate about this. But it says, I just moved to a new city for a new job and I don't know any people. How would you advise creating a group to seek to? And the reason why I want to do this is because I've actually moved. At one point, I lived in five states in five years. Absolute banana lands. Um, but it's it's so hard, especially for middle-aged people as well as 
you know, the kind of the young adult. So the first thing is, I would say, get plugged into whatever you enjoy. So like, obviously for me, I love, I'm into the church, so I'm locked in there. And that's how I literally make all my friends. I can talk the years off a statue. <laughs> and then the other <laughs> thing too is just get involved with your community, man. Uh, Chamber of Commerce, that, that's how I do it. That's my role. I like that. Uh, you know, it would be, because a lot of people don't know this about me. I'm actually kind of shy when I'm in a new setting and everyone thinks, oh my gosh, Ruga's just going to talk nonstop, blah, blah, blah. Don't worry. I eventually get there, daddy. But when I start, I'm a little bit shy. So I would say get out of your comfort zone and just push the envelope and do, hey, just start talking. What do you guys do on the weekend? What's going on at night? What, what, do you guys have sports tickets? What do you guys do? You want to go out for a drink? Things like that. So I would just say try to get out of your comfort zone with basically your work partners and things like that. That is fantastic. Monahan, is that advice. all the questions you have for me? Is that all the questions you have, Monahan? That's all I got. All right, let's end this segment. Big T, let it rain. Focus. Focus up. All right, we are back on the Rubio Method. Make sure you spread the website everywhere, therubiomethod.com. Share the YouTube channel, obviously, The Rubio Method. The first two episodes have been fantastic. I want to thank Nick Umble and Brandon Huffman. You guys did a great, great job. You guys are going to love our third guest today. But before that, Monhan, have I ever told you my skydiving story? Ooh, you have not. Let it rain, Daddy. Okay, so the number one thing about me is that I've, I've told you guys this in the past. I am very, very safe and sane, not dumb and dangerous. So you look at me, and those that know me say, Ruby, there's no way in hell you've gone skydiving. I actually have. My wife got it for me for a Father's Day gift as kind of a joke to basically shut me up because I've always said that I wanted to do it. I want to do it. But she thought, there's no way in hell this guy's going to do it. He barely likes going on roller coasters. And I also have this weird thing where when I get into a high place like an elevator or things like that, I've got, I don't even, it's like a, a trauma or something where I feel like I want to jump off and my knees get weak. I know jumping off is bad and I'll end poorly, but it's still kind of that weird, there's some sort of epidemic or something, I don't know what it is. Bottom line, someone else can look it up and tell us later. So she takes me as a surprise, we get in the car, we're going to, I'm not even going to name the town due to the amount of OSHA regulations that were broken when I did this skydiving experience. I won't even say that we went to an airport, we went to basically a, I don't even know what runway strip of dirt slash hay slash rocks and gravel and we pull up and there's probably 15 or 20 people there's a couple airplanes they're 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 just they, they, these planes look like a seven-year-old child drew them they are not put together with all the bolts i mean there's legit duct tape on the outside and inside i go in check in they immediately put you on the scale which i don't like because i'm a bigger guy and all bigger people don't like to get weight that's a side, side story we'll come back later to I get weighed. They say, okay, you weigh this. You're going to be the heaviest person. Thanks for that little ego boost. You're going to have to go with the smallest instructor because obviously the first time skydiving, they don't just put a parachute on you and say, go, daddy, go. So I find out that my little buddy is going to be my partner is probably five foot one, five foot two, maybe. And we're looking at maybe a buck 25, buck 30. He's, he's basically me in like, like fourth grade. And so I'm looking at him and going, oh, good God, there's no video. They don't put me in a suit. They basically put some like bungee cords around my armpits and my thighs and my waist. And they say, all right, these buckles are going to buckle onto this guy. And he's going to basically be on your back. 
Okay, so I've got you know a little Kawadu guy from Total Recall that's going to hop on my back. So we walk over to the plane, and I'm looking at this thing, and this is this is not a good environment because this plane holds maybe four people, including the pilot, and I think there was a total of six or eight of us in there. The pilot's facing one way. There's about three or four people facing normal way. I'm too big for that spot, so they put me basically in the passenger seat. My butt would be where the jock, uh, the jockey box, that's what they call it here, the glove compartment is in the plane, and I'm facing backwards. So we're flying this way, and we get going on this pl plane, and it's, I mean, like, literally sounds like a lawnmower ranger, and we're creeping and crawling, and I'm, I'm about to put my hand out the window like this, help it out, like, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And so we're crawling and crawling, and we're at like 8,000 feet, 9,000 feet. I can't even see out because the window's up here, and I, I, I'm looking the wrong way. I don't even know what's going on. So he says, okay, 10,000 feet, we're getting close. we got to get to 12,000 feet, then it's showtime. Okay, buddy, no problem. My little Kuwato buddy looks at me and says, all right, Rubio, I need you to turn around. And, and, and this, Mind you, this is a cockpit, of not a plane. This is like a Toyota Camry cut in half. So he goes, you've got to turn around. I go, I, I, I go okay. So I you know, doing like the fat guy shuffle turned around and I'm on my knees and he says, I need you to sit on your heels. I go, what? What? He goes, I need you to sit on your heels. I said, I, I can't do that. My knees will explode. I'm not even that close to that flexible. I go, you're going to have to just jump on top of me and strap on, man. He goes, you want me to jump on top of you? And as I'm on top of you, you want me to strap on all these bolts or, you know, clips or whatever. I said, that's literally the only way you're going to do it, man. He says, okay. And then he says, we get to 12,000 feet. He goes, we open this St. Bernard's dog door on the side. Most, you know, have these big rolling like garage doors that open, not this thing. We've got this St. Bernard garage door or doggy door open on the side. And he says, okay, there's the rail, Rubio. I need you to lift up your foot with me on your back, put your foot on the rail, and then we're going to lean out. Well, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm not that strong. I've got Kawato on my back my little friend, and then I've got, I can't bend my knees at all. I'm just basically, my knees feel like they're going to explode. So I say to him, man, here's what's going to happen. Because he, he says, you need to do it. I said, I literally can't, man. I literally can't. I said, you're going to lean to your left, and then you're just going to tackle me to my right, and we're going to just hope that my head doesn't hit as, as I go through the St. Bernard doggy door. He says, you want to tackle you? I said, let's go, Daddy. So he leans to his left, and then, boom, just tackles me out, and we start going. And it was a phenomenal experience, but it was a great, it was one of those that I'm so glad I did it. I don't think I'll do it again unless it's in an actual, you know, let's say FAA approved plane because it was frightening. The, the going up and sitting on my heels was literally the worst part of the entire thing. I do not recommend that for anyone. Monahan will come back to that story and the interview right after this commercial. Big T, let it rain. What do you think you're doing, Kevin? I uh, was just gonna drive home. Ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, there are several warning signs present that you shouldn't be driving. Like hearing voices? Like your text to emoji ratio? Oh man, the selfies. <laughs> selfie nailed it. We all have warning signs that let us know that we're probably not okay to drive. Mine is pretending to be your subconscious. Craig, come on man, let's put a ride home. Here's to the straggly ones, the first ones. But hey, I look good with this ones. The black, brown, red, and gray ones. The itchy ones. The ones grown by dad. The ones grown for dad. 
The I nearly didn't do it this year ones, and the absolutely filthy ones, they all raise awareness, raise funds, start conversations, and save lives. Because whatever you grow will save a bro. Learn more at Movember.com. Focus. Focus up. All right. Welcome back to the Rubio Method. Make sure you share the website, therubiomethod.com, and obviously the YouTube uh, channel as well, The Rubio Method. You guys have done a great job. Keep it up. Monahan. As everyone knows, our role on the show, if you don't remember, I'm just the average guy kind of going through middle age, not, not knowing what's happening. You're kind of the quote unquote doctor slash expert. Can you break down my skydiving story and kind of help us move that into, let's say, men's mental health or men's health? Yeah, absolutely. First off, hilarious story. <laughs> Love that he had to uh, <laughs> go ahead and Teddy Bruce you right out the doggy door there. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of times that's something that we need as men for men's mental health is, you know, we need that push from someone because a lot of times, especially if we're going through it mentally, going through a tough scene, tough season, and we need to talk to somebody, we're afraid to do it because we're afraid what it's going to be like when we jump on the other side. And so a lot of times it's so important to have a trusted friend that, you know, hey, he's going he's gonna to catch me when I fall here to push you towards reaching out and talking to somebody and, and go ahead and facing your fears head on. And, and I think that's basically like you keep saying, it, it's it, we almost have to take down our macho shield, like we have talked about before in the past episodes of, hey, I, I, I got to just risk it here. I, I, there's, I can't do this. Like I said, I, man, I, I literally can't do that, man. You're going to have to just jump on me and just put down our macho shield and just say, go do what you got to do because I need this extra push. Yeah, and the other thing that is super funny that it highlights in the story is it doesn't matter if you're a big, strong, macho man. Hey, that's you, Rubio. Shout out. Or if you're a little guy that's jumping on your back. Man, it is important. No matter where you are, what you look like, mental health is health, and it affects everybody, no matter how much weight they lift or how tough they are. So that's that's my big thing. Yeah, because like you said, you could be as big and strong and macho as you, you want to be, everyone's brain, heart, and mind is pretty much the same size, unless we're getting into like Andre the Giant or something like that, but everyone's pretty much the same size, and no matter how much you're working out, you got to work out up here, as you say, and so that's the, that's the big thing on that. Am I, am I wrong or am I right? No, you're absolutely right. Put that pride aside. Allow your friends to, to, to seek guidance with you or just seek guidance from them, especially someone you trust who's been through a few jumps before, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Fantastic. Monahan, let's wrap up this segment. We're getting ready for our next guest. Big T, let it rain. This is what too much sounds like. This is what stress feels like. And this is what help feels like. If you've lost a job, worry about your next meal, or have trouble making it through the day, we can help. Text STRESS to 211-211 to find a solution. Here you go. Thank you. Thank you. Never gonna let you go. 
Focus. Focus up. All right, welcome back to the Rubio Method. Make sure you check out the RubioMethod.com. Make sure you share the YouTube channel. We're going to be up on all avenues of ways for you to listen to us very, very soon. But keep spreading the word. You guys are doing a phenomenal job. Here we go. Our next guest, welcome, Jimmy Ferris. I'm very excited to have you on. Let me give you a little background on Jimmy because I know he won't brag about himself as much as I'm going to brag about him. He's actually from Lewis and Idaho. You know, that's my hometown right now. Went to the University of Montana as a wide receiver, also a track star, I do believe. Signed with the 49ers and won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. Speaks to corporations and groups across the country about championship-level disciplines and a winning mindset. And Be a Pro is his new book. It is phenomenal. I've read it cover to cover. It is done very, very well. Jimmy Ferris, welcome, my man. Thanks for coming on. Man, so good to be on here with you guys. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Jimmy, before we got talking about the book and all the other good questions I've got for you, I'm going to give you three quick hitters. I don't want you to think. I just want you to answer. You ready? Okay. On a plane, do you choose window, middle, or aisle seat, and why? Depends on the length of the flight. If it's a short flight, I'll choose an aisle. Uh, if it's a long flight and I think I'm going to want to sleep, then I get a window so I can lay against that window. See, I would have thought possibly opposite due to longer flight, you're going to have to pee, so you'd want the aisle so you don't have to bug everyone. But I, I understand in your no. sleeper on a plane, I can't sleep on a plane, so I get it. I'm going to tell you quickly why. Because on a longer flight, you got to be the guy that gets up four or five times for your seatmates that want to go pee. So okay. I, I don't okay. like to be interrupted that many times on the long flight. So I'll take the window on a long flight. Okay, I'm okay with that answer. Number two, what is the perfect temperature in your house? What's the perfect temperature in your house, and what's the perfect temperature outside of your home? Yeah, so at night, the ideal temperature, What I, I like to sleep cold, so somewhere between 65 and 68 degrees at night, and then during yes, the day, Dad. right around 70 degrees is just about right for me. Okay, at night, I'll agree with you. The colder, the better. During the day, I would say outside, I would go 64, simply because I can wear short sandals and maybe a sweatshirt. Monahan, any thoughts on inside and outside temp? Because your wife is pregnant right now, so her temperature could be doing this. You, you could be playing with fire answering this question. Dude, it's all over the place. It's hour by hour, but I'm with you. I like to live in an igloo, so. <laughs> all right, last question, Jimmy. What is the, who is the largest human being you've ever seen in real life? Jordan Davis, the um, University of Georgia defensive tackle who's going into the NFL draft this year. The dude is an absolute mountain of a man. I think he's like 6'7 or 6'8, and he's like 340 pounds. I mean, just a huge, huge. I've seen guys taller than that, but never with that sheer mass, like height and weight. He's got to be one of the biggest. That, that that's the dude who ran like a, a, under a 542 right yes dude he ran like a 48 or something unbelievable yeah, that's, time for that, that that's that's not that's not good that something's wrong there no we got to figure that it's not human or yeah not human yeah something's wrong with him all right jimmy in your book be a pro i have the advanced reader copy humble brag no big deal for all the rest of you guys i've talked to you about this before i i love this book i think it's written I, 
for a male. And I don't know if you were going for that, but I think it, to me, because it's very quick, it's to the point, it's almost like a Dan Brown book where each chapter is short, so I can see the end, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I love how when you wrote it, you did such a good job of making your point very, very clear. Did you mean it to go just for dudes or did, was that a happy accident? No, I think that was that was probably, um, to use your words, a happy accident. Um, I, I wrote the book specifically for two audiences. I wanted it to be high level enough that it would resonate with corporate C-suite level executives um, who are the people that I'm doing a lot of coaching and training with. And I also wanted it to be something that my teenage nephews could read and digest and get mm -hmm. um, some value from. And so um, I tried to thread that needle. I don't know if I did it successfully, but um, I did want it to be kind of a light read, a light lift, like you said, short chapter, something you could read in a day uh, or a weekend. Um, I read so many books and some of them, tons of great information, but it's so high level you know, you're talking a five, 600 page book that it can just feel like a lot to digest. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, to, to write a quick read, something that somebody could pull really quick points out of stuff they could take and execute on immediately. So I hope that I achieved that goal. Oh, I thought you did 100%. And one of the best parts about the book, I thought not only were your points driven home very, very quickly and very easily, you also incorporated some great stories. One of the stories you had in there was I was literally laughing out loud, not only because it was a funny story, but I could see my college self not doing the race because God knows I'm not running anywhere fast unless I'm chased. But also just the stupidness slash over hubris of the story. I'm going to just intro it a little bit, then I want you to take it home. You, <laughs> Jimmy and his buddies... I think it's basically sophomore, junior year. You've done track. You're very, very fast. You're in a Montana bar having a good time. You're talking about how fast you are in some, I, let's just say, maybe this guy's had a couple too many drinks. He says to you, that's great. You're fast. Ha ha. I know someone or something that can beat you. So you take it from there. Yeah, this is a true story. It, it sometimes people think it's some Montana folk legend, you know, that didn't actually happen, but it's a true story. Um, and you set it up perfectly. I just come off of my junior year of track. I ran track at Montana as well as played football. And uh, I was down at a local bar, Stockman's Bar in downtown Missoula. Anybody that's been to Missoula has probably been to Stocks. And was having a conversation about the track meet. And a guy sitting at the end of the bar overheard the conversation, asked me if I was a runner, if I thought I was pretty fast. And, of course, being a you know, cocky 21 year old full of testosterone. I said, well, <laughs> I can beat you if that's what you're asking me. And he said, well, that may be, but I, I know somebody I bet can smoke you. And I said, who's that? And he said, my horse <laughs> and everybody, in the <laughs> <was> kind of <laughs> you know, not something you expect the guy to say. And, uh, he says, yeah, I'll bet you 500 bucks that my horse can beat you over 50 yards. So I thought about it for a minute. My first thought was that I didn't have 500 bucks. I was a completely broke college kid. So if I took Standard. the bet, I was basically taking the bet, praying that I was going to win. Um, and and I also didn't like the distance, right? You you know, Rubio, as uh, football players, we trained to run 40s. And um, so I was, I was very trained to run the 40-yard dash. I was fast in a 40. And I also knew that horses don't start fast. They, they build their speed over longer distances. So, for instance, in a 100-meter race, a horse would crush me. But in a 40, I felt like I could probably get out and get a really good start, and the horse might not be able to catch me. And ultimately, that's what ended up happening. So about 
10 of my teammates and I loaded up into a old Chevy pickup truck the next day and drove out to this guy's ranch in Montana. And uh, we showed up and out in this pasture, he had a, a two by four for the starting line and a, and a sprinkler head about 40 yards down the pasture <laughs> at the finish line. <laughs> so I knew it was first class right away. So I got out, put on my cleats, warmed up, stretched, and a couple minutes later, he comes trotting out on the horse and we line it up and I hear the, on your marks, get set, go. And I just, just blew out. And my, my training took over everything that I'd been working in track season for the last couple months. And all of those years of running forties and training for that just kind of took over. I never saw the horse. I won the race and got the hell out of there with a, with a five a pocket full of $500 cash. <laughs> that is an awesome, awesome story. The, 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 the greatness of hubris slash being a little bit college dumb always pays off, hopefully in a good way. That's a great, great story. I love that. Jimmy, in your, in your book, Be a Pro, you talk about, and I love this, I wrote it down like several times off on my chalkboard and all that good stuff. You talk about pro professionals suspend their disbelief mm -hmm. section. I love it. But do you think middle-aged men can do that and should they do that? Yeah, listen, I think um, for middle-aged men in particular, that may be one of the bigger points or bigger takeaways in the book. As we know, as we get older and we we accumulate more life experience and more quote unquote wisdom, I'm doing the air quotes right now, we start mm -hmm. to think that we know it all, right? Or that certainly we know a lot more than we did when we were younger. And when you take on that mindset, although that might be true, sometimes we can get into um, a mindset that we don't need to learn anything else and that we don't need to grow and change and expand and evolve. And so part of suspending your disbelief um, in that context is just to say, you know what, I don't know it all. And maybe when I'm presented with an idea that initially I might reject or I might have the, the uh, uh, initial idea to say, yeah, that, that's not going to work or no, uh, I know a better way. Um, maybe we should suspend our disbelief that that thing might not work or that it might not be the best way and give it a try and we might learn a new technique or a new way to do something or grow and change in ways that we didn't think possible just because we allowed ourselves to try something new to potentially learn a new skill or be corrected on something that we thought we knew to be true that actually wasn't true and so it's that idea of just suspending your disbelief that something's not true or that it won't work and entertaining the idea that maybe it will work maybe it is true and it can really help you learn, grow, evolve, and get better. I think that's a phenomenal point. And uh, Monahan, I want to bring you into this a little bit because I know I'll just end up talking too much. This is very similar, Monahan, to conversations that you and I have had where you're stubborn, I'm stubborn, and I'll say, Monahan, just shut up and listen to me. I will listen to you after this, whether we're talking about religion, political, whatever. I'll just say, shut up, Monahan, just let me talk. Then when I'm done talking, I'm going to let you talk, and then we can battle it out. But this comes back to the communication thing, like we were talking about earlier. But am I wrong or am I right? Because I feel like I'm right on this one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right down the middle there. It, it's huge, you know, especially uh, as us men. We like to put, even though we, you know, may not say it, we like to put borders and boundaries on, on who we are and what we can and cannot do. But I love that idea of suspending disbelief because if you do that for – 10 seconds in your life for something so great. Let it run, let it rain. 
Fantastic. I'm going to ask one more question, Monahan, and then I'm going to give you the next one because it's a little bit more uh, football-y. Uh, Jimmy Ferris, you and I have mutual acquaintances due to the fact that you were born and raised in Lewiston, and I live in Lewiston now, and our paths have crossed. We don't know each other. We've spoken on the phone through text and obviously through video like we're doing right now, but we've never met each other, but we have a lot of acquaintances. One of the key acquaintances is my buddy Dennis Fry. I call him the nubbin. He's missing half a finger. We'll get on that story later. But anyway, he used to tell me that you used to be at their house nonstop growing up for one particular reason. And I, I would say it was his younger brother and their family. Is there another <laughs> particular reason you were always there? And can you explain, please? Yeah. Well, I'm going to lead you into yeah. something else. Yeah, yeah. So the Fry family lived uh, just a street up and a street over, literally a five-minute walk from where I grew up. And Jeremy and I, Dennis's youngest brother, went to grade school together. So I spent a ton of time at the Fry household during my, my grade school years, my younger years. And one of the real rewards of spending time over at the Fry's was that they had an extensive cookie drawer up in the kitchen. Uh, their I'm mom, Bobby Fry, bless her heart, um, knew that all of us <laughs> boys loved cookies. And so one of my rituals was every time I went over there, I'd walk in the front door, walk up the stairs, kind of say hi to anybody sitting in the living room and walk straight to the kitchen go to that drawer and get a stack of about 10 soft batch cookies. And uh, then I'd circle through the back part of the kitchen and come back into the living room and sit down and start to conversate with everybody. But I don't know that there was a time I ever went to the Fry's house where they didn't have cookies in that drawer and where I didn't get at least one handful of them. So fond, fond childhood memories of the Fry household. And I'm thinking subliminally, you went there for the cookies, but you also went there for the comfort of the group setting, the comfort of the family, the comfort of knowing, okay, this is my tribe. I can kind of be warm and open here. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, 100%. Look, so I'm the youngest of five. I have two older brothers and two older sisters. And so that, that big family setting was something that I really loved and treasured. And so I could leave my house, my tribe, um, with my family and go over to the fries and basically get the same experience in a little bit of a different environment. And, um, so, you know, Roger and Bobby Fry were, were, um, like family to me as, as were all of the Fry brothers and Jeremy and I are still great friends, of course, 40 years after we met. And, uh, so yeah, a hundred percent, that was a, that was a, a, a safe spot, a place of comfort and somewhere where I, I felt like family. Yeah. Hey, Jimmy, quick question for you, too. Obviously, you grew up in small town, northern Idaho, right? And then you went on to play college ball, kind of medium, mid-major size school. And then you went on to be a Super Bowl champ with the New England Patriots. Have you how did you how did you not ever think, hey, maybe this is all too big for me? How did you live in that moment and not think that Super Bowl, I'm come from a small town and you become a champ? What was that like for you? Well, yeah, I could probably talk um, at length about that uh, more time than we have here. But I think a lot of it for me was a combination of a, of a belief in myself, you know, which is, sounds cliche, but that's, that's really at the root of, of any success or accomplishment, right, is a deep down belief in yourself. Um, just a belief that even though I didn't know anybody who'd done what I was trying to do and there was nobody – that I could go find, you know, there's not a ton of ex pro athletes in Lewiston, Idaho. Um, so even though I didn't have a, a, an example or a role model, so to speak right there in front of me, 
I still believed that I could do it. I still felt like, well, I guess if there's no pro athletes from here, then I guess I'll just be the first one. Um, so there was that number one. And then I remember really a, a specific moment. Um, I was in my freshman year of college and me and Ryan Skinner, another uh, Lewiston high graduate, a guy that had an amazing career at University of Idaho was a all, I think, big West defensive player of the year. He was a best friend of mine and we trained together in the summer. And one year we went up to Seahawks training camp in Cheney. And that was the first time I'd seen pro football players in person up close and saw them practicing and doing what they did. And I remember standing there on the fence at practice and taking all that in. And on the way home from Cheney, Ryan and I were in the car and he said, well, what'd you think? And I, I just looked at him and I said, I think I can do it for sure. He goes, what do you mean? And I said, seeing that up close and in person gave me a perspective that it's possible and that it's real. I was able to look at those guys and say, okay, they're, they're the best of the best, but, but they're not that much better than me. They're not superhuman. And I think I could get to that level. And that really made it real for me. And from then on, I, I was fully convinced that as long as I continued to do what I'd been doing and continued to grow and get better that I'd get there. I love that, that belief you got from you, your whole family. What? So just reading your resume again, small town kid, goes to mid-sized college, Super Bowl champion. You've now written a book, be a pro, make sure you guys get a copy. What's what's next for Jimmy Ferris? What what more do you want to do, man? Yeah, this is this is it, honestly. For right now, you know, who knows? A year from now, I might change my mind and and do something different. Um, but for right now, I as cliche as it sounds. I would, I would do what I'm doing now for free. Like, I love it that much. I really enjoy having an opportunity to get in front of an audience and impart something from my life or something that I've learned from somebody else that might help them or impact them. Um, and, you know, I know that sounds incredibly altruistic and, and not to say that, that it's just all about the giving aspect of it, but I just really love what I do. And so for now, this is all I'm focused on. I hope to write three or four more books in the next five or 10 years, continue to speak from stage, um, continue to try to impact as many people as I can. And, um, you know, one of the beautiful things that, that I carry from my childhood and, and specifically from my parents is I don't fear any type of failure. My parents let me know at a very early age that no matter what I did, whether I was successful or not, that their love was not conditional on me being anybody or accomplishing anything uh, or becoming anything great. And so still to this day, I carry that with me that if I want to do something, if I want to try something, I will go jump out of that plane, you know, to, to reference your, your skydiving story. I will jump out of that plane and uh, figure out if I need a parachute later with no fear of failure because I know that I'm loved and supported no matter what I do, success or failure. And so um, for right now, this is what I'm doing. And uh, uh, maybe there's something different or something greater for me in the future. I just don't know what that is yet. Jimmy, we appreciate your time. You did a great, great job. I knew you would. I'm very pumped for everyone. Tell everyone where they can find you on social media, where they can get the book and uh, all that good stuff. Yeah, so the book is available wherever books are sold. Obviously, most people are familiar with Amazon. The Kindle version is still on sale for 99 cents. So that's a book for a buck. Hard deal to beat. You can find me on all social media, just at Jimmy Ferris or backslash Jimmy Ferris. Pretty easy to find. And um, also, you can go to JimmyFerris.com 
and drop your email um, down at the bottom of the page. Join my inner circle and get our email updates and our newsletter. Um, so please do that. I'd love to connect with anybody. Love the conversation and uh, look forward to hearing from everybody. Jimmy Ferris, thanks again for all of your time. Big T, let it rain. Here you go. Thank you. Thank you. Here's to the straggly ones. The first ones. But hey, I look good with this ones. The black, brown, red, and gray ones. The itchy ones. The ones grown by dad. The ones grown for dad. The I nearly didn't do it this year ones and the absolutely filthy ones. They all raise awareness, raise funds, start conversations, and save lives. Because whatever you grow will save a bro. Learn more at Movember.com. Focus. Focus up. All right, welcome back to the Rubio Method. Make sure you check out the RubioMethod.com, NGBN.TV, and obviously the Rubio Method on YouTube. Keep sharing the links. You guys are doing a great job. I want to thank Jimmy Ferris. He was absolutely phenomenal. Monahan, what did you think? He, he had he had some great, great little, not, I don't want to say one-liners, but one-liners that really hit home. Yeah, I think he's a man amongst men. Uh, he was an awesome interview. Just And cool, even before and after the interview, just kind of hanging and talking with him. I thought he really brought some really, really cool uh, perspective. And, and I love the fact of, obviously, we talked about, what, what are my notes here, uh, the disbelief section. I love that. But I also love how he ended it with, he knows if he fails or not, he's going to be loved. And I think that for dudes, a lot of time, we still need someone out there, whether it's a wife, you know, parents, grandparents, brother, friend, religious person, someone that's going to say, man, you can fall. I got gotcha. you. It, it's okay. Yeah. And you know what it really brings us back to? I feel like all the time is when we were kids and you guys like you and I played college football, just athletes, like we're always in that performance mentality where like, if I fail, I will, I'll be a failure and that's all I'll be seen as. But I, I agree. I love how he's talking about that, having that support system that loves you no matter what. And we <laughs> find someone who is like that. Cause that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Monahan, let's talk the bottom line. Everyone knows the bottom line segment is one of my favorites. They're all my favorites. Okay, let's be honest. But the bottom line, remember, I'm a bottom line guy. I'm going to give it to you, a bottom line. That's why the logo is black and white. It's either black or white. I get in trouble a lot of times because I basically say, just land the plane. Do you want me to figure this problem out for you? Do you want me to solve it or do you just want me to listen? Here is the bottom line, the, things, the three things that you should have learned from today's episode. Number one, Sometimes you just need a good push to make things happen. It happened with me with a skydiving store. I had a little kawato on my back, and I needed that push to get out of that St. Bernard doggy door, or it just was not happening. The second thing for the bottom line, you need a support group to lean on and for comfort. Mine, yet again, was little kawato guy. 
that pushed me out. He was my entire support group. Because God knows that plane was not supporting us much longer. And with Jimmy Ferris, his support group was the Fry family. He had this little cookie jar. Yes, he went there for the cookies. He was a teenager. He was eating nonstop, getting whatever this tent, soft and chewies or whatever he was talking about. But it was also he felt comfortable there. He felt comfortable there. Monahan, what other support groups could people lean on? Yeah, just your friends, people that you trust. Um, you know, if you need a counselor, <laughs> I'm that guy who's always pointing to the counseling. If you need that, they're tremendous, and you're not too weak for it. <laughs> and the third but and final bottom line, you need to be dumb enough to try some wild things for a great story. I was dumb enough to get on that duct tape plane with Kawato on my back. Jimmy Ferris was dumb enough to race a horse 40 yards in a Montana field. I really, really like that one. Make sure you obviously are a little bit more safe and sane, but you definitely want to do that. Monahan, that's going to wrap up our third episode. I'm pumped. It went very well. It was smooth. You were excellent, Monahan. Simply fantastic. I'm very happy with it. I think everyone did a great job. Thanks again to Jimmy Ferris. Make sure you're checking us out at therubiomethod.com, also on YouTube at The Rubio Method, and on ngbn.tv. Big T. Let it rain.